With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 17 of The Iron Horse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.com. Dot org. Recording by Adele de Pignaroles. The Iron Horse by Robert Michael Ballantyne. Chapter 17. Gertie is mysteriously cared for. Sam Natley dines under difficulties in connection with the block system. One day, not long after the half-yearly meeting described in the last chapter, Mrs. Merritt, being at the time engaged with the baby, received a visit from an elderly gentleman who introduced himself as a lawyer, and said that he had been sent by a client to make a proposal to her. Of course, he said with a bland smile, I do not refer to a matrimonial proposal. Mrs. Merritt felt and looked surprised, but waited for more in silence. To come to the point at once, continued the elderly gentleman, my client, who is rather eccentric, has taken a great fancy, it seems, to your little daughter Gertrude. Gertie, he calls her, and is desirous of giving her a good education, if you had no objection. Mrs. Merritt, being under the impression that this would involve Gertie's being taken away from her and put into a boarding school, at once looked her objection so plainly that her visitor hastened to explain that his client did not wish Gertie to quit her parents' house, but merely to go for a few hours each day to the residence of a teacher in the neighborhood, a governess, whom he should provide. This altered the case so much that Mrs. Merritt expressed herself quite ready to allow Gertie to undergo that amount of education, and hoped it would do her good, though, for her part, she did not believe in education herself, seeing that she had got on in life perfectly well without it. She also expressed some curiosity to know who was so good as to take such an interest in her child. That, my good woman, I cannot tell, for two reasons. First, because my client has enjoined me to give no information whatever about him and secondly, because I do not myself know his name, his business with me having been transacted through a young friend of mine, who is also a friend of his. All I can say is that his intentions towards your child are purely philanthropic, and the teacher whom he shall select will not be appointed unless you approve. That teacher, I may tell you, is Miss Tipps. What? Miss Netta teach my Gertie? exclaimed Mrs. Merritt in great surprise. Never! My good woman! said the lawyer, with a perplexed look. What is your objection to Miss Tipps? Objection? I've no objection to Miss Netta, but she will have some objection to me and Gertie. I thought, said the lawyer, that Miss Tipps had already taught your child, to some extent, gratuitously. So she has, God bless her, but that was in the Sunday school, where she teaches a number of poor people's children for the sake of our dear Lord. 
but that is a very different thing from giving ordinary schoolin' to my Gertie. That may be, rejoined the lawyer, but you are aware that Miss Tipps already teaches in order to increase her mother's small income, and she will probably be glad to get another pupil. We mean to pay her well for this service, and I suppose that if she has no objection, you will have none. Certainly not, replied Mrs. Merritt with much emphasis. Whenever Mrs. Merritt said anything with unusual emphasis, Baby Merritt entertained the unalterable conviction that he was being scolded. No sooner, therefore, did he observe the well-known look and hear the familiar tones than he opened wide his mouth and howled with injured feeling. At the same moment a train rushed past like an average earthquake, and in the midst of this the man of law rose and, saying that he would communicate with Mrs. Merritt soon, took his leave. Next evening Miss Tipps was seated at tea with Netta, planning with anxious care how to make the two ends meet, but apparently without much success. "'It is dreadful, Netta,' said Miss Tipps. "'I was never before brought to this condition.' "'It is very dreadful,' responded Netta, "'but that renders it all the more imperative "'that we should take some decided step "'towards the payment of our debt.' "'Yes, the liquidation of our debt,' said Mrs. Tipps, nodding slowly. "'That was your term your dear father was wont to use.' "'You know, Mamma, at the worst we can sell our furniture, "'or part of it, and pay them off, "'and then, with a system of rigid economy,' A postman's knock cut short the sentence, and in a few seconds Mrs. Derby, careworn and subdued, presented a letter to her mistress and retired. "'My, my dear!' exclaimed Mrs. Tipps. Th "'This is positively miraculous. Here is a cheque for fifty pounds, and—but read it yourself.' Netta seized the letter and read it aloud. It ran thus. "'Clarendon Hotel, London. "'Dear Madame, there is a little girl living in your neighbourhood, in whose father I have a deep interest.' I am particularly anxious to give this child, Gertrude Merritt by name, a good plain education. Understanding that your daughter has had considerable experience in teaching the young, and is, or has been, engaged in tuition, I venture to propose that she should undertake the training of this child, who will attend at your daughter's residence for that purpose at any hours you may deem most suitable. In the belief that your daughter will have no objection to accept of this trust, I enclose a check for fifty pounds, the first year's salary in advance. I am, dear madame, your very obedient servant, Samuel Tuft. Although the above can scarcely be considered a brilliant achievement of Edwin Gerwood, it nevertheless accomplished its purpose, for the letter was, in all respects, so very unlike Captain Lee that neither Mrs. Tipps nor her daughter suspected him for an instant. On the contrary, they took it in good faith. Netta wrote a reply by return of post, agreeing to the proposal, and on the day following began her pleasant task to the inexpressible delight of Gertie, who joyfully, on any terms whatever, would have been Netta's slave, not to mention pupil. A considerable time after this happy arrangement had been made, Mrs. Derby, in a moment of confidential weakness, related to little Gertie the circumstances attending the loss of her diamond ring. Gertie, on returning home, communicated the matter to Lou, and gave it as her opinion that it was a pity such a valuable ring had been lost. "'Couldn't father find out about it somehow?' she asked with a hopeful look, hopeful because she believed her father capable of doing anything he chose to set his mind to. "'Perhaps he could, but he won't be home to-night,' replied Lou, thoughtfully. "'I think Sam Natley could tell us how to find it. Suppose I go and ask him.' Lou laughed and said she thought Sam couldn't help them much. The child was, however, a resolute little thing, and, having taken up the idea, determined to go and see Sam forthwith, 
as he was on duty not far from John Merritt's cottage. Sam had recently been advanced from the position of a porter to the responsible office of a signalman. The great sin he had committed in going to sleep in a first-class carriage, when unable to keep his eyes open, had been forgiven, partly because it was his first offence, partly because of the good and opportune service he had rendered on the day of the attempted robbery, and partly on account of his being one of the steadiest and most intelligent men on the line. Sam's wife, under the care of Mrs. Tipps and Mrs. Derby, had made a marvellous recovery, and Sam's gratitude knew no bounds. Mrs. Tipps happened to refer to him one day when conversing with Captain Lee, and the latter was much pleased to discover that the man in whom Mrs. Tipps felt so much interest was the same man who had come to his help in the outer of his extremities. He therefore made inquiry about him of the station-master at Clatterby. That gentleman said that Sam was a first-rate man, a stout, hard-working, modest fellow, besides being remarkably intelligent, and clear-headed and cool, especially in the midst of danger, as had been exemplified more than once in cases of accident at the station, in addition to which Sam was a confirmed abstainer from strong drink. All these facts were remembered, and when the block system of signalling was introduced on that part of the line, Sam was made a signalman. The scene of his new labours was an elevated box at the side of the line, not far from Gertie's home. As this box was rather curious, we shall describe it. It was a huge square sentry box, with three of its sides composed of windows. These commanded a view of the line in all directions. On the fourth side of the box hung a timepiece and a framed copy of signal regulations. There was a diminutive stove in one corner, and a chest in another. In front of the box facing the clock were two telegraphic instruments.